0: Now entering Nerdist.com.
1: My name is Ben Blacker. I'm the creator and moderator of the Nerdist Writers Panel. I'm also a television writer myself, having written for Supernatural, Super Ninjas, uh, DreamWorks, Puss in Boots, and currently FX's new series, Cassius and Clay. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker, and let me know who you'd like to see on this show. I'm always looking for new ideas for guests, and you can always find out about live Nerdist Writers. Panels go to writer's Panel com. As ever, if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes, and thanks for listening. It's the
0: Nerdist Writers Panel, and it's hosted by Ben Blacker, where he gets a bunch of writers, and he asks them lots of questions,
1: and it's starting now, so this will be the end of the theme. We're doing it. I'm ready. Uh, Frank Spotnitz is here. You guys, welcome. Thank you very much. Very nice to be here. I'm so glad to have you. We have, lately... <laughs> Been talking to a lot of X Files people. Yeah. Uh, we had Chris on not too long ago and it was fascinating, and uh, Vince a couple of times. So I'm thrilled to get to talk to you about that stuff. But first, let's talk about the new show. Okay. Which premieres, let's say, next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, tell us all about it. It's an Amazon uh, original program. Yes. That you've created yep. based on the Philip K. Dick book. Exactly. Uh, the Man in the High Castle. That's it. Is that correct? The Man in the High Castle. Okay. We, I don't think I've really talked to anyone who has done stuff successfully for Amazon yet. Yeah. So I'm really curious to hear about how that process went. Well, it's still very new, so it's not surprising. I think they've only
0: been doing this for four years. Yeah,
1: and there have only been a few series that have come out of it.
0: Yeah, about, yeah. It's, know, and it's a different incomplete. model. It's a unique model mm-hmm. because you do the pilot and they show it, and then they decide based on response. which ones to proceed
1: So, did they approach you, did you approach them I I feel like I read that this was something you wanted to do anyway well, the longer story but I won't make it very long (laughs) is that Ridley Scott's company, Scott
0: Free had been trying to make this into a TV series or a TV movie anyway for five or six years without success and they came to me and I said yes sort of without thinking because I'd read the book in college and loved it Hmm. And then I went back and read it, and I thought, oh, my God, this is going to be harder than I... Because I just I didn't remember it as well as I thought I of did. Of course. And, well, you
1: uh, remember those key points, right? I remember the like, impact. This would be a great yes. show. Oh,
0: yeah, the alternative history. Obviously, I remembered it was about the, yeah. the Nazis won and the Japanese won. Um, but anyway, I, I did find a, a way to approach the material that made sense to me, uh, and it was for sci-fi at that point. Mm-hmm. And sci-fi elected not to
1: proceed... And how, can I ask you, and I'm going to interrupt mm-hmm. yeah, you a whole ahead. lot. I apologize right. I right in, in, in advance because uh, I'm going to want to kind of dig in on stuff. But how far down the road did you get with sci-fi?
0: Well, the original idea was to try to do the book in four episodes. Oh, wow. And then if the four episodes were popular, then let's continue with the TV series afterwards, sort okay. of a backdoor pilot. Sure. So I wrote the first two hours, and then Tom Schnauz, my friend mm-hmm. from X-Files Breaking Bad, yeah. et cetera, wrote... Friend of the show. Uh, friend of the show. <laughs> he wrote episodes three and four. Um, and I thought they were really good, and we all thought they were really good. But sci-fi didn't proceed. Interesting. And I think it probably that whole process was probably about six to eight months from you know, right. starting the script to them passing. Interesting. Uh, and then I think Scott Free tried to sell them just about everywhere. Sure. And nobody bit. And they were about to lose the option to the book. Mm-hmm. When I got a call from this guy Morgan Wandell, who used to work at ABC, who had just joined Amazon. And this was Christmas, like a year and almost two years ago. Mm -hmm. And he said, I've just come to Amazon. Do you have any scripts you've written you love that you have not been able to get made? Oh, wow. And I said, as a matter of fact, and that's how it happened. Like, he read it, he loved it, and they they picked it up.
1: Right. And then when did the conversation become, this will be more than four episodes? Because obviously that's not their model. Well, the truth is, um, Philip K. Dick's
0: daughter... Uh, Issa Dick Hackett was not necessarily uh, interested in doing a pilot. Mm-hmm. She didn't want, you know, this project to go forward with just a pilot. So I think Scott Free had to talk to her and say, "Are you okay taking this risk?"
1: Sure. Um, well, and at this point, it's kind of been around. It has been, been like, around a a while, and she was very happy with the script.
0: Mm-hmm. So she agreed to do that, and with Amazon it was clear it was not going to be a four episode thing it was going to be an ongoing series so there was a lot of unpacking particularly of Tom's episodes three and four You sure. had to unwind them a bit because they went much faster than we now go so there was a lot of reconceptualizing about um, the speed of the show, but I'd say all for the better. It's, oh, it's, it's better going slower.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would imagine you were then given the opportunity to let it breathe, to kind of push out the corners of the, the worlds you had yes. created or were playing in. Yes. Um, so, was it a typical or what we know as a typical Amazon process where they show, they release this pilot and kind of gauge people's reaction or was there a good idea that you were going to make more of these? Uh, they were
0: very positive about the pilot. Mm-hmm. The moment they saw it, they were very positive. And if I'm really honest, they were more positive than I was. <laughs> sure, I, I didn't know. You know, well, you, listen, you'd been burned already. Oh, oh my God, I've done so many pilots that I love, and you just you just don't know how people are going to absolutely. React. And but they were like, no, no, no. This is you know, they really believed in it. I have to say, from the first time they saw it. Mm-hmm. And so they did encourage me to start, you know, thinking about writing and getting the scripts ready. And and then we released it, and the reaction was immediate and positive and And, you know, the best reaction they've had in mm-hmm. the four years they've been doing this.
1: And at that point, they must have said, like, start yeah. putting together a room
0: Absolutely. and all that Absolutely. stuff. Absolutely. They um, didn't immediately give us the green light, but they did say, right. you know, get to work. Right. <laughs> start start <laughs> thinking about this yes. seriously. Yes, yes.
1: Um, and did you, let me just backtrack a little bit, but when when you got this call from Amazon did you have to kind of re-pitch it like based on no here's how we would reformat and stuff like that well we had discussions um and that
0: uh, that took a while actually there was because their thinking evolved too I think um and I think it was it was probably over a course of two or three months where the new structure of the show became clear Mm -hmm. it wasn't immediately clear sure but there was no repitching. It was just sort of sort of. Um, we just talked about it.
1: Yeah. Well, and they had the scripts and they had the book. Like they yeah. knew what they were getting into. They I really did imagine that they had more than, than you usually have. Yeah. Um, and you know that's that's the business side. On the creative side, what what is it about this material?
0: Well, I think there's a reason Philip K. Dick has become this incredibly famous science fiction writer is because he had one of the most interesting minds. Mm-hmm. And I think the challenge of adapting this to television was preserving his ideas and making sure the show was about his ideas. And that's kind of my big complaint about a lot of science fiction that's done now, is it's not about anything. Mm-hmm. It's just spectacle. Yeah. And, and I love science fiction because it makes me think.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's a very sort of classic
0: view of it science It is the classic fiction. view. I
1: mean, that's the Twilight Zone, right? Yeah, exactly.
0: And which is still one of my all-time Absolutely. favorite you know, things. Um, so... The challenge for me was finding an emotionally engaging uh, structure in which to explore these ideas Mm -hmm. that are mind-bending, trippy, you know, really challenging stuff. Um, But I feel like, you know, so far anyway, we've managed to do that. And it's been helpful, honestly, having Issa his daughter is one of the producers because you know this is personal to her you know mm-hmm. this is her father's work yeah. so she, and she's very smart and not shy about letting you know if she
1: thinks you're you're missing something mm-hmm. but it, i mean it's also and i think this is the reason why we don't see a lot of you know thoughtful science fiction anymore although i think that may be swinging back but it's hard to balance ideas and character and spectacle and do this on a TV budget. It is. You know, how how did you and then the writers that you put together start to grapple with that? Well, we did a lot of
0: talking, and and we read. You know, I read the biography of Philip K. Dick, and I read the two hmm. chapters of the sequel that he never finished, The Man of oh, Night Castle. I didn't know about that. And and I did a lot of, you know, thinking about what this story meant to me. And And so, I mean, there's two themes that he has in a lot of his work, which are what's real it's the nature of reality which is pretty trippy and then um what is what is human and how do you stay human in, in human world and so those themes i think are like my touchstones as we're going forward in the series mm-hmm. and then there's a third idea that's in the series that i don't think was as much a part of the book as it is the show which is you know what is freedom and what would you sacrifice to be free mm-hmm. And so as we're plotting the story and thinking about the emotional lives of the characters and where they're going next, we're always returning to the prism of those three themes to see if we're saying
1: something, advancing those ideas. Absolutely. And this is it's a thing that I've only started sort of contending with recently. I've mostly been in comedy, but you know, do you when when it's time to sit down and write the script or even break down the outline and we'll, we'll talk about how the room works in a minute, but you know, do you keep these thematic ideas in mind, scene by scene, and actually say, like, either to yourself or does the room say, "Are we addressing the theme in this moment, in this scene, in this sequence?"
0: I mean, to be very specific in my answer, I would say no. I, I keep it in mind at the beginning as we're, we're as we're going off onto some story direction, and then I kind of just get caught up in the emotion and the drama of what that story is. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, I'll go back and go, okay, now, does that have anything to do with what we're talking about? And if it doesn't, sometimes, you know, you can push it in the right direction or you end up scrapping it Mm -hmm. altogether.
1: Interesting. Um, So let's talk about this room that you put together. We were saying before we started rolling, you are in London, yes? Yeah. Um, And so your room was... Half British writers, half American writers, and you were running it. Yeah. Uh, How how many writers were on this show? There
0: were uh, well, there was Tom, but he couldn't come because Better Call Saul had started by then. So uh, there were four writers, uh, and there were two um, script editors, which is something they have in British television. They don't have in um, American television, and uh, so it's sort of a hybrid of the two TV cultures. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it was a pretty you know there's a lot of people in that room. So. Uh, the British writers were
1: Rob Williams and Emma Frost, and the American
0: writers were Jace Richdale and Evan Wright. Okay,
1: um, and how did you find them? Did you know them all before? Did you find them through Not, reading? I didn't know
0: any of them. That's great. It's uh, no, nice to hear. Yeah, <laughs> and actually, there was a there was a fifth writer who came on as a freelancer later, Waylon Green, who I did know from mm-hmm. before. From Millennium, we were both on that show for a little while. Um, but no, they were just writers whose work I'd read and I liked. Perfect. Um, yeah, and and Scott Free had worked with Evan before and okay. knew he had a really
1: interesting mind. Um, and then, how do you run a room? I mean, you have run rooms before. Mm-hmm. Uh, was this? Do, have you found a way that works for you, or does it vary from show to show? What What is it generally? Well, I.
0: Um, I learned how to do this on the X-Files. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, my process and Chris Carter's process and Vince Gilligan's process, just about all the X-Files guys, it's pretty identical. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's one of, you know, we all have different strengths. I think it's one of my strengths. I have a story mind, and, mm-hmm. and I love the, the jigsaw puzzle of it all. Uh, it's one of my favorite things is being in that room with the other writers and, you know, finding out what you think, you know, Mm -hmm. getting to the bottom of an idea. And and it's sort of like reverse psychoanalysis. It's like you learn about yourself through (laughs) the interrogation of this story and what would people really do and what do I really think about this situation. I think that's the joy of it for me. So I I love it, but I try to be as specific as possible Mm -hmm. and really understand every beat of that story before the writer goes to script. Mm -hmm. So that if the writer fails or stumbles or gets lost, I know how to. F-
1: I can help. Sure, him. Because absolutely.
0: I know I know it as well as they do by the time they go off to write.
1: Yeah, um, and that that does seem to be the common thread. You know, we've seen that in the Salt and the Breaking Bad room. Yes, uh, and we talked to that talked about that with uh,
0: yeah. I mean, Carter Vince and I recently. were in the same room together for seven years. Yeah, so and on more than one show. But but in this show, what happened was we broke it in the room and then we started filming and it kind of took on a different life than we anticipated the lives of the characters started to go away a bit from the plot mm-hmm. and so you're watching it on film and you're realizing this is not exactly what we thought I think the, the plot was still correct but the who the people were yeah. was more interesting <laughs> sure. uh, so there's been this really the entire time there's been endless rewriting
1: well, and I imagine that's sort of, that's the downside to doing these Netflix or Amazon shows where you're getting 10 episodes and production doesn't start until you're fairly deep in. I mean, how many scripts did you have done Yeah, I mean, I production? thought,
0: oh, I'm, I'm so far ahead. I'm, right.
1: I've said this to people, <laughs>
0: I'm so far, I've never been this far ahead. It feels that way. Yeah, we had six, I think we had drafts of six episodes. Yeah. So like, wow, that's amazing. And of course, they all changed. I mean... Episode two didn't change, but right uh, everything after that changed pretty
1: significantly. Sure. Well, you get the actors, right? Yeah, you get, and the you actors. get the directors, yeah. And it, you see what all these people bring to it. Yeah. It starts to exist outside of the hive mind of the writers' room. It
0: does, and and I have to say, it's like the cast for this show. You just get lucky. You know, you always try to get the best cast you can, right. and I I do think I've been blessed with really good casts, but they just. They brought the characters alive in, yeah. in ways that I hadn't um, anticipated.
1: Sure, and and how could you yeah. until you start working with these collaborators? Yeah. So were you or the writers on set doing rewrites, or was it being sent back and forth? How was it? No. Because oh no, you were working. I was far shooting away. in Vancouver. Yeah, I mean, really,
0: I've, I've been up there for only you know less than a month total out of the whole shoot, so it was largely long distance. But what I did wisely i think there's a wonderful british director named daniel percival who i'd worked with on strike back and hunted and i got him to come to the writer's room in england so he was there for the entire writer's room and then he went to vancouver and was our series director so you know if an actor had a question or or, and all the world building you know had to be so specific he knew it inside and out Mm -hmm. from having spent all that time in the writer's room and that's unheard of. I've never I've never heard of a director being in the writer's room for that long that yeah. Period of time.
1: Yeah, well, but it seems like it was necessary and, and worked. Yeah. I mean, yeah. A- oftentimes you'll be able to send a writer up, but this was just practical. Yes. Uh, that's that's really interesting and, and very lucky that you could do it. Yeah. I mean, that would not always be the case. No. Especially in American TV or, no. or in broadcast networks.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, it took Amazon investing in
1: having a director across the show like that, but it was a good investment. Yeah. Um... Okay, let's uh, let's go back a little bit. We're gonna we're gonna slowly walk backwards. Um, okay. How did you come to live in England? So
0: I had been a reporter in my first career for seven years. I was a news reporter. Really, for whom? Uh, for UPI, which was a wire service, mm-hmm. and then for the Associated Press, and then for Entertainment Weekly and Rolling Stone, and you yeah, like uh, know, I was a freelance writer toward the end okay. I, as I got. Less and less interested in being a reporter. I got more and more into like <laughs> sure. entertainment writing and things to keep myself <laughs> <None> interested. <news. laughs> yeah, you know. Um, but I was a reporter in Paris I for the Associated Press briefly, and I loved being in Europe. Um, and when I decided to come back to Hollywood, go to film school, and do this, I thought, well, that's it, I'll never be in Europe again because, you know, this is where the business is. And that was true for a long time. Mm-hmm. But after the writer's strike, I saw the business was changing, some ways good, some ways bad. But I thought, you know, I bet I could go back to Europe now. I bet wow. if I wrote the right show. And this is the strike in, what, 08? This was after 08. Okay. So I had actually been courted by these British producers for seven years at that point, and I said, you know what, I'm ready to do this now. Hilarious. So I wrote the spy show called Hunted for the BBC, mm-hmm. or, or targeting the BBC. Right. And, I thought, and was it with these producers? Yeah, with these producers. Okay. Kudos and um, amazingly, it, and I thought, I "Bet if I do this, I could sell it back to the states." And sure, sure enough, I sold it to the BBC, sold it back to Cinemax, HBO Cinemax, mm-hmm. and it worked. It worked. It was amazing, That's and it ridiculous. got me to it got my family and me to London, and <laughs> yeah. and and then that, the problem became the show ended, and we were all in London, and nobody wanted to go home. <laughs> and then it's like, well, now what do I do? And so it took me about a year to figure it out. And what I realized is, you know, in, in Europe, the TV business is completely different. Yeah. I, I think people would be shocked if they understood how profoundly different it is from what it is in America. And there are no big corporate studios that are going to give
1: you deals and pay. Yeah, you this well, this money. is, I'm really curious to hear about this. And, like, how do you continue working there?
0: You, in my case, the answer was I had to start my own company. Okay. I had to become a producer who then employs me mm-hmm. to write shows. Um, and in some ways, it's a wonderful thing because producers there get to hold their own copyrights, hmm. which you have a very hard time doing yeah. in this country. So if you're successful, it's, you know, from a business standpoint, it's a really wonderful thing. But it also meant I had to become a producer and have an office and employees and you know, travel and sell things and meet broadcasters and all this stuff that honestly I never really wanted to do, mm-hmm. but I was forced to do. So, I started the company in 2013, I have 10 employees now. Wow. It's been very successful. <laughs> that's, that's
1: unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> Out
0: of necessity. Out of necessity, <laughs> and I'm working you know, harder than I've ever worked in my life, which is saying a lot, because I've worked very hard. Um, and then a year ago, I realized you know, I could go back to Paris, where I lived so many years ago. Uh, a little harder, but I could do it, and so I have. So I've been living in Paris and commuting to London for the past year. Oh, my God. Yeah. How,
1: God damn it. Come <laughs> <laughs> well, over. This isn't
0: right. <laughs> it's, Listen, we've been trying to find a way. You know, I have to say, I talk to so many writers, and they go, oh, I'm so jealous. It's like, I said, come over, and guess who does it? Nobody does it. Of course. Nobody does it's it. It's too hard. You can do it. <laughs> it's, You know what it is? You have to be willing to take a risk.
1: Mm-hmm. You have to sort of set aside your fear and just go, I'm going to to do this. Well, I think for so many writers, just coming here and pursuing the business is an enormous risk. risk. (laughs) It absolutely Um, is. I mean, especially these days. But uh, so I'd love love to hear about how development is different uh, in the U.K. Yeah.
0: Well, the first thing to say is that, you know, American television is organized around series. Mm-hmm. And a series in this country is 8, 10, 12 episodes at a minimum. Yeah. Uh, in the U.K., if you get 8 episodes, oh my God, that's a giant <laughs> run. I mean, really, you know? that's extremely rare. Most of what they do in that country are 2, 3, 4 parts. Yeah. That's it. So it's a short-term commitment. One writer could do all mm. of those episodes, and usually does, and they're usually all written before you start filming. And it's a producer-driven business. The non-writing producers are the ones who generate the material, hire the writers. Hmm. There are virtually no showrunners, you know, with, with a right. couple of exceptions. There, there are no writers who know how to produce. They're kind of kept away from
1: the production process. Hmm. Because the writers are basically sitting in a room like this, they are. writing their yeah. episodes yeah. And, then and, and they turning not And they don't know anything about how to cast a show, how to make a
0: show, yeah. by and large. So i have sort of started to do it the american way in Mm -hmm. europe and there are an awful lot of especially younger writers not just in the uk but across europe Mm -hmm. who are extremely excited by that they watch american television they love american television and they're like why can't we do that and i'm very eager to um to help them Mm -hmm. learn these
1: skills and i think it's it's good. I think I think writers should be there on producers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is as collaborative as the medium is. It's yeah. still the writer's... You know, he's the auteur of these things. I think so. Especially if you're doing 8, 10,
0: 12 or yeah. more. I mean, it's one thing if you're doing 2, 3, 4. Okay, that, and obviously there's a lot of great British shows that are mm-hmm. 2, 3, 4. And nobody can say there's anything wrong with them. There isn't. But if you're trying to do a longer run, having a writer who understands production is a great asset. Absolutely.
1: Um, so... Have we started seeing this already? And and would your production company and are there others kind of work as pods do here, where you're developing with writers before bringing it to? I mean, there aren't as many outlets. That is part of the problem. I imagine. No, I mean, what the business that my company, Big Light Productions,
0: is in is really the co-production business Mm -hmm. because the shows I'm doing are big shows. They're like you know American style shows. So that means I need more than one country to Mm -hmm. afford to, to mount the show. So um I do have a lot going on. You know, most of it I can't announce yet, but sure. some of it will be in the next few months a lot more will be announced. But they tend to be, you know, with more than one country, so the US and UK or right. US and France or Canada. Which is
1: again more and more common it is more, uh, as and more common. These companies are more risk averse That's and right. productions are getting more ambitious. That's right.
0: And it's cost effective for them because they share Absolutely. the cost of the show. Yeah. It's also, you know, for somebody like me, it's twice as complicated because you've got to deal with two broadcasters, not one. At least. At least. <laughs> you know, it takes a certain kind of temperament to be in that business. You have to be a yeah. bit of a diplomat to deal with all these um, cultural differences as well, <laughs> different languages, Absolutely. time zones. But, interesting uh, I'm enjoying the challenge
1: um and are you as a producer but also as a writer, are you seeking out you know certain types of things what's your taste because I imagine that's what the taste of the company is ah uh, it is, and my problem is
0: I love so many things and mm-hmm. there's more things I, my eyes you know are bigger than my <laughs> <laughs> than my, my my ability you know yeah. there's so many things I would like to do, and I'm greedy to do them all you know while I can um but I tend to, as as it happens, I tend to like genre stuff, mm-hmm. which happens to travel very well. So I like science fiction. I like thrillers. I like murder mysteries. I like spy shows. Um, these are all things that people want to make, and they're all things, to some degree, that the X Files did. You know, I think the X Files is yeah. sort of the perfect. It was my second film school, and it was perfect for me because I
1: got to have a hand in all those genres. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's get into it. Okay, um, you know. We've heard this X Files film school a few times now, uh, and I feel like there are a few shows like that. Partly, you know, by dint of how long they ran, uh, but also because of the people involved that were real training grounds for you know guys like you, where this was not your first job, but probably your first steady job. It was not my first job. Was it your first, it was my first writing first job? First job in Hollywood. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, How did you even get involved? Because you came in, what, season two? Season two, beginning of season two. And was it a straight submission uh, by agents or something? It's a very bizarre
0: story. It always is. (laughs) I moved back to L.A., and some friends of mine invite me to join a book group. And I'm waiting to start film school. I haven't gone to film school yet. Mm -hmm. So I joined this book group, and in this book group is a guy who writes TV movies for Disney named Chris Carter. (laughs) So I'm in this book group with Chris Carter for two years, see him every couple months. I don't really see him outside of the book group. Mm-hmm. He's just, he and his wife are in this group. Book group ends. I'm in film school. I turn on TV on Friday nights. some months later, a year later, and there's The X-Files. Oh, my God. It's that guy, Chris Carter, I was in the book group <laughs> with. Wow. Well, this is good. I end up watching every episode of the first season. And then toward the end of the first season, a friend of mine, who I went to grade school with in Phoenix, Arizona, says, Don't you know that guy, Chris Carter, who does The X-Files? I said, yeah. I say, will you call him for me? I want to write for the x <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, that's really awkward. And, you know, I, I have his phone number, but right. you know, I haven't even called him since the show. Nothing. But I've known this that's guy hilarious. since grade school, so I'm like, all right, <laughs> all right, all right, I'll call him. For you. For you, I'll yeah. do it. It never crosses my mind to call for myself. That's, that's how smart hilarious. I am. So I call, and uh, Chris takes my call, and I say, I have this friend. Will you hear his pitch? And he goes, no. He really won't. But if you have any ideas, I'll hear your ideas. I'm like, oh my God. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I got to call my friend and say, you he won't hear your pitch, uh, good but news, he's going to hear mine. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think oh of- Oh my God, that's ridiculous. Ridiculous.
1: So I think of three ideas, which isn't hard because I have watched every episode. Mm-hmm. Well, it seems like you know. Just to go back, this is this is the stuff you love. I mean, yeah, yeah I grew up. Genre. I grew up on
0: Twilight Zone and Star Trek and episodes yeah. and it's a Mission Impossible. And, yeah,
1: and well, this blah, blah, is West. absolutely uh, in that
0: line. Completely. I, I actually, that's why I succeeded because mm-hmm. I, I, it was the perfect show for me. Mm-hmm. Actually, my talent was not sufficiently honed, if, if I'm honest, when I got the job. Mm-hmm. But it became honed by having the job. But I went and I, I pitched these three ideas to him. And I thought it was just going to be him, and it was actually sort of a room full of producers. It was a bit intimidating. <laughs> and he didn't buy any of them. Mm-hmm.
1: And was this just, like, did you know what this meeting was for, other than to uh, Well, I had a vague idea ideas. what it was to
0: pitch. Right. But, I, but I, it was really the first time I'd had to pitch to a TV show. And yeah. he, he sent me away, and, and I was defeated, because I was like, well, that was a waste of time. And then a few weeks later, this is my recollection, He called me and he said, I didn't buy any of your pitches, but they were all good, and here's why. This, 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 and this. I'm losing two of my best writers, so I don't want to buy your pitches, but how would you like to come on staff? Oh, interesting. And so, so that was that was how I got the job.
1: Yeah, that's that's really funny. And my so friend, this, by the way, was yeah. Andre
0: Bormanis, who ended up writing for all the Star Treks for years. Oh,
1: well, fine. <laughs> so he, he had a nice career as well. So w- when you went in to pitch just these ideas, was the uh, the notion that it would be a freelance episode? Yeah, okay. yeah. that I'd write one episode. Yeah. And, and that
0: would be it. And I was, wow, that would have been amazing. That's you know, interesting. Because that also would have been, like, one of the last shows to actually do freelance episodes. Yeah, well, back then... I think you had to, maybe you still have to. Oh, that's right. You
1: had to have at least two outside scripts. That's right. But often, and I guess they still do, but yeah. those go to the writer's assistant or something yeah, like exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. So you came on, so then you got staffed at season two, and It was your first sta- time in a room. Well, it was, you know, Chris, I believe it was the second day I was there,
0: he said, There's this episode that's not working, go in the cutting room and fix it. Oh, wow. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I just went in. And I oh remember it was God. Excelsis Day. It was about this, uh, mm-hmm. these old people in a nursing home and these uh, psychedelic uh, <laughs> plants that they were smoking or something. Right. And that was the f- he just threw me in. And then it was like, oh, go to the sound mix. And it's like, oh, okay. And I, he sent me in there alone to like, supervise the sound mix. And it was just like, wow, go do it. And it was sink or swim. And the, mm-hmm. you know, the truth is, most people in The X Files got fired. Most people did really? not last. And, um, and I was one of the few who lasted because I think I could, I demonstrated to him early enough, I got the show. Mm-hmm. I got the core of the show. My writing wasn't fabulous in the beginning, but I was probably a better producer than I was a writer. Hmm. And, and then my writing got much, much better, much, very fast. And I went from staff writer to
1: executive producer in three years. That's unbelievable. But, I mean, clearly, you ro- it seems like you rose to that challenge, and that's what set you apart from these guys who got fired. I, I, mean- think, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, I tried really
0: hard to understand what the show was and what he wanted it to be, and I think what he did really well was it was a very clear, beautiful idea for a TV series, and the people that came to it could bring mm-hmm. things to it that he never would have thought of himself. Absolutely and that's a, and, and I think he also demanded you do your best, and those are the ones who got fired, the ones who weren't willing to work that hard to mm-hmm. do the best, but I think if he could see you were working as hard as possible and bringing things to him that he wouldn't have thought of on his own, then you stayed and and you know it did stabilize over time, you know, like Vince right. and John, um, you know we lasted
1: the rest of the series, yeah um, and that's an interesting thing, and I think that's a great lesson for. Anyone who's getting staffed on a show is—you have to try as hard as if it's your own show. Like it has you, to be your own you
0: show. And you know what? I think that's true of any job. You mm-hmm. got to love it. And like, if you don't, go do something else. You know, and, and I, that's the way I am now. That I—it's like if somebody is trying their hardest, I'm not going to fire that person because mm-hmm. that's all you can ask of somebody is to try your hardest. But Absolutely. if you're not,
1: think about why are you doing this job? You know, go do something else. Mm-hmm. Well, and, yeah, and every position I feel like, and again, the more I go through this, the more I understand this, is a learning experience. Yes. You know, I'm going to take from this shitty writing job I have to the next one and, and you know, apply these the things I learned and, I and hopefully make me better. Being a writer is an act of faith. You start out, you know, very, very few people are good when they start out.
0: We Absolutely. all start out like, I want to be a writer. I believe if I stick with it, I will get good. Yeah. And I believe that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm proof of that. And, mm-hmm. and so when I see younger writers who have that dedication, I want to support that and mm-hmm. help them
1: realize the talent they have. Mm-hmm. Well, and this was something I wanted to follow up on. I mean, you say when you started that you weren't very good as a writer. Mm-hmm. How much had you written? I mean, you'd gone to Not film much. school. But, yeah, Like, so what did they make you do? Uh, where did you go? to USC I went to AFI. Here? AFI, okay. Yeah. Um, did they have you... Churning through scripts, like how, how did it, it work? Did. You had to write short films, and then you had to write a feature all script. Right. So that all—that
0: all is great practice. It, it was great practice, but it wasn't a, you know—it wasn't enough, yeah. and, and it wasn't certainly up to the standard that Chris was demanding. Sure. And I had a great teacher; I had two great teachers at AFI. Mm-hmm. They were really, you know, uh, important. But you know, it takes time. It takes time to hone your craft. And you know, actually, Vince is one of the few people who was, you know, just stunningly good as a teenager. I mean, he was sort of born good. <laughs> But that's the exception to the rule. Most yeah. people are like me. It's just hard work, repetition, mm-hmm. and slowly you, you find your craft over time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what did you discover about, and I know this is a ways back, but when you're starting out, and, and you are working on a show that's doing 24, 25 episodes yeah. a year. Yeah, uh, you've got You're surrounded by a great team uh, in the room and in production. What did you learn about writing? I learned that you have
0: to make every episode. You have to act like every episode is the greatest episode of television hmm. ever. You have to have that level of ambition because if you aim super high, if you're really really lucky, it'll end up being okay.
1: <laughs> you're you're, you're going to aim way up there, right. and at the end of the day, yeah, that was all right. The reality of it. But if you just go, well, this will
0: be a fine episode. It's going to stink. Hmm. It, it, you know, it'll be it'll be dead on arrival. You really have to have that kind of dedication, and ambition, and I learned you can't be smart enough. The, you know, no matter how smart you think you are, people are smarter. And I've met so many smart writers who don't write smart characters. It's really hard mm-hmm. to to get in there and and be as smart as the as the characters you're writing. Yeah. Um, and you know, don't settle. You know, just mm-hmm. just push yourself. And it's funny the, the harder you work, the more energy it gives you to keep working. Absolutely. But it's when you start going, well, that's good enough. It it, it actually it sort of. It's a black hole, and it sucks you into it, and it becomes harder um, to
1: keep doing your best. Yeah. Um, so, what is it? Let's let's try to get even more specific. But when you say make it as ambitious as you can, or or you know do it to make, try to make it a great episode, what does that mean to you? Well, I always think what I like
0: when I watch an hour of television or a movie is I want to be emotionally pulled in. <gasps> I'm. I'm interested. I my heart is is there mm-hmm. right away, and I don't want to be let go until it's over. I want that feeling of I've lost sense a sense of time, like this has just completely captured my imagination and my and, and its emotions that come first though. Mm-hmm. And especially then, in TV, especially in say. TV, but I mean and on the films I like too. They 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 grab me emotionally. I'm moved. Mm-hmm. I'm compelled by these characters, and then part of my brain is going, oh, this is interesting. This is interesting. And then when it's over, I'm thinking about it for days, for weeks, and if it's really great, for the rest of my life. I mean, there are hours of the Twilight Zone and Star Trek I still think about. Right? I was was nine years old, and I'm still thinking about them. That's what I want to make. Mm -hmm. And that level of ambition of, like, somebody has given me a lot of money And I have access to millions of people to watch this hour of television. You can never take that for granted. I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste a single hour. I want this to be fabulous. And, you know, the the thing is, it's a collaborative medium. And so every good hour of television I've done, it's because the script has been good. Mm -hmm. And every bad hour, to some degree, it's because I've failed. Like the script, something about it, it, it didn't enable other people to do their best work. Right. The better the script, the better everybody else. And it goes across the board, you know, from the actors to the director to the costume designer to the greensman to the composer to the marketing. Pe- the entire thing, if the script is great, everybody can do their best work. And if it's not, mm-hmm. they can't. And so it's really on you, you know, as the writer to take that responsibility, to, to understand it
1: and not disappoint yourself. That's, that's really excellent advice. That's a great thing for people to keep in mind as they're even working on their own you know, spec scripts. It's to make the thing you want to see that will inspire others. Well, I, I remember that
0: feeling of writing spec scripts and thinking, is anybody ever going to read this? Is anybody going to read really Care? That's the hardest part um, before anybody's paid you is to take yourself seriously yeah. and believe that it matters. But it does. It matters because you're training yourself and I know this from, you know, when I was starting out or when I talked to other people who are starting out, it's like, well, I just want to get an agent. I just want you know, you just want to be ready. Yeah. Because I really believe if you stick with it, you will have your chance. You just want to be ready when your chance
1: comes so you don't blow it. Absolutely. And it's, it's not easy. No. Do you recall in those first few years, was there a script that y- you either finished writing or kind of went through the process and said... And had that realization, like I did a hundred percent on this one, and I think it's going to lead to others bringing a hundred percent. There was there no. This is all stuff, <laughs> this is
0: all stuff that I didn't realize for a long time. Sure, this is me talking after having done it for twenty yeah. years, and having insights that I, I was you know stumbling my way through most of my career. But, <laughs> and the, there was a script I wrote that Chris read that actually helped me get the X Files. Mm-hmm the title of which I cannot remember, but it was sort of a scuba diving thriller. The entire thing took place at sea, and it was sort of a like, dead calm-ish kind of thing, but with scuba diving in it. And um, that was the first time I actually felt like I had some command of my craft. Mm-hmm. But um, I think what's good about this job is you're never going to master it. Sure, You're always going to fail to some degree, and that's why it's always going to be interesting. You know, And, and you look, the, the greatest writers out there they 're going to have crappy movies or TV shows you know I don't care you name anybody we, yeah. we all stumble because what you're trying to do is distill human experience into this believable fiction <laughs> and entertain people
1: and convey an idea and that's just there's endless variables in yeah. you know, to that that's a thing again I've been realizing a lot lately is how much when we write a script you're grappling with it's the theme and character and entertainment and and your own understanding, and, yeah, of and, and these people. clumsy tools. It is. I mean,
0: the good news is the what I sometimes call like the carpentry of writing, like mm-hmm. scene construction, and how you get in. And how you, that gets easier over time. Mm-hmm. You go, oh, okay, I've done that. Oh, I know how to get into this. I know right. how to get out of that. And especially if you've been in an editing room, you start to realize you know the mechanics of it. That gets easier. The part that never gets easier is, what do I have to say? What's my understanding of human beings? How do they speak? You know, all that stuff that yeah. is really what matters is always hard. It's, it's as hard for me now as it was when I started. Mm-hmm.
1: Of course, that's where you have to dig deep. Yeah. Um, how do you make yourself dig deep? When you're working on a script, what does your process look like? Um... I get very, very excited in the beginning. I'm,
0: I'm, oh my god, I'm in love with this idea. This is going to be amazing, <laughs> yep. and that carries me for a long time. And then there's a point, and I'm not faking this. There's a point where you're just like, oh my god, this is terrible. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to fix this. I'm. I'm sick, I can't sleep, I'm so stressed. I mean, honestly, it, I've been doing this 20 years, it happens every time. And oh, and man, I think, I and I can never just go, oh, well, this has happened for 20 years. Get yeah. over it, Frank, it's going to be fine. You don't, doesn't and matter. you're miserable, and my wife will <laughs> tell you. There's like, and um, it can last for 48 hours, or it can last for a week. But it, I kind of feel like, psychologically, I need to get to that desperate place to exhaust whatever I have to mm-hmm. make sure I've dug as deep as I know how to go to whatever talent I have that I've I've minded and then I can go forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so do you try to get out of that or oh, do you yes. let it happen? Oh, no, I'm desperate. I'm miserable. And then... <laughs> What 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 do you do? Do you write your way
1: out of it? Do you walk the dog?
0: Do you walk smoke cigarettes? What happens? I I, you know, I throw a ball back and forth in my hands, I stare at the screen. It's not writer's block though. It's it's being stuck on a problem. How do I solve this problem and not make it crap? Yeah. And honestly what usually happens is I'll go to sleep and I'll wake up I usually wake up early in the morning to write and I wake up and then there it is. Mm-hmm. And it's my subconscious mind has oh, finally solved the problem. Absolutely. What time do you tend to get up to write? Um, no later than six. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes five, wow. five thirty. Um, and how long can you put in before sort of well, having to do other things? The truth is, my my children have ruined my my career because uh, <laughs> it used to be that I could get up and have three or four hours, and I would get more done. You yeah. know, X Files days, I would get more done in those three hours. Before I went to the office, you know, I could just. That, that, those are the most productive hours of the day. But now I've, I've had children for a long time; They've completely screwed up my morning. <laughs> they still do it, so um, you know, if I get up at five thirty, I can probably get an hour and a half in before they yeah. really start to mess with me, and then uh, I go back to it later. But I've gotten better at. I can write anywhere now. I can write can you- any time of day, anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: And do you? And and I imagine this, you know, is still true from the X Files training. But you have this unassailable outline that you tend to work off of.
0: Yeah, although I think that that outline can be uh, false comfort. Because and, and, I think you know, you figure out the story as much as you can in the room, uh, but it's it's a, it's a, it's a safety net. That, that When you start writing, you're going to realize, and you know this, you realize in the process of writing a million things you never thought about in the room because mm-hmm. the process of writing a script is so much more specific than the process of breaking a story. So if you're doing it right, you're going to start to realize, wait a minute, I know we all agreed the character would go here and do this now, but now that I'm actually in it, I realize this is idiotic. Of course she's going to realize this, and she's going to do this. And hmm. and then the the board changes, and mm-hmm. the story changes. Um, but hopefully you kind of, you return to those cards, and it's not, you know, you, you usually
1: roughly follow them, yeah. but not precisely. Well, that makes sense. Uh, and, and that's the sort of discovery process that is writing anyway. Yes. I mean, like you say, as much as you can plan this stuff out. Yes. The characters want to do something, or the story wants to do something, and it's never, I think I think it sort of gets talked about as if it's a wild left turn, but it's never that far off. No. It just, it may feel that way. Yeah.
0: No, every once, every once in a while, we're like, oh my god, we all missed this right. giant
1: obvious <laughs> thing, but usually it's, you're absolutely right, usually it's not that far off. Right, so then that's, that's, I mean that's the writing of it. Yeah, that's the process. Um, I want to talk about, you brought up the mechanics of it, and this is going to get into some deep nerdy stuff. Um, But is there... (laughs) Is there stuff that writers who are starting out, uh, in television especially, should know about these mechanics? About structure, sure, but about really, like, zeroing in on scene entrances and, you know... Uh, stage directions and things like that. Is there stuff that you have learned or that you like to keep in mind? Yes. But I tend to be the kind of
0: writer who believes in having a formal understanding of what you're doing because I just think it's helpful. Mm -hmm. But
1: I... Well, and it frees you to do that other stuff, the real hard work.
0: It does for me. I mean, I know lots of writers who have no formal understanding of what they're doing and think this is, you know, ridiculous and don't want to be bothered with it, and they're you know, some of them I'm sure are much better writers than I am. So, I don't mean to lecture people and say you must know this, you right. must understand that. I, there's no one way to do this right. There's a thousand. There's endless ways to do it right. Yeah. But for me, I mean, there's a few tests when I'm looking at a story or a scene that I'm thinking, is it doing this? Is it doing this? That help me understand um, the process and make sure I'm doing, I'm going the right way. Because you can fool yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and. Absolutely. Uh, and one of the things is, you know, rising action. Is the conflict getting worse? In fact, is there conflict? And in fact, does this scene, does every single scene have a conflict? Mm-hmm. It, and does every line of dialogue have some kind of conflict? I mean, really, you could get that precise, yeah. and it's it's a tool. It's, it's not to say every line of dialogue must have a conflict, or the conflict in every scene must be obvious. But these are the building blocks of drama, mm-hmm. and they have been for thousands of years, and they still are. So it's very useful. And I think that that process of carding your story on a bulletin board that we all learned on the X-Files is very helpful for seeing your story, for seeing it in one place and going, Okay. Here's where this character's introduced, and then the character comes back here and here, and here's where this theme first comes up, and then, oh, look, it's it's woven through here and here. Mm. Oh, actually, this theme I, I introduced in the third card of Act One, but I haven't touched on it in two acts. Mm. Is that right? You can just see it yeah. uh, in one place, which is why I, I really like it. And I also like that it's analog. I like that you're sitting there with paper cards and a black Sharpie pen... And you're writing very slowly and neatly, (laughs) and it makes you stop. And, I I mean, I can't tell you how many times I tear up the card Mm -hmm. because I've had to stop and write it. And I guarantee if I was on my laptop typing, it wouldn't happen.
1: Interesting. Because, you know, your hand makes you go slower. Absolutely. Yeah, there's something about that remove. Yes. That makes you have to think about what you're putting down. That's very interesting. Um, Let's, listen, people want to hear about this. I want to hear about this. Um, Were there... You know, you were on The X-Files for, what, nine years? Eight eight of nine years. Eight, eight years. Eight two movies. Right, and the movies. Mm-hmm. Were there... And you became one of the sort of go-to mythology guys, too. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at the list of your episodes, and yeah. it was a lot of the the ones that Chris is credited with, or often credited with you as well. Yeah. Was there something about those stories that appealed, or were you particularly good at that kind of story? I mean... The honest truth is I was just
0: as involved in every one of the standalones as I was in the mythology, but I tended to be credited mm-hmm. more on those shows than on the standalones. But I liked them both equally. There were times when I preferred the standalones to the mythology ones. I stumbled into it by accident because at the beginning of season two, you know, Jillian had been pregnant and so they'd written this subduction storyline and I don't think I wasn't there I don't think they fully appreciated the effect that was going to have on the rest of the series. (laughs) Because that created the need to have this serialized story that you could not stop servicing. Right. And um, as I told you before, my three ideas I pitched to Chris he'd rejected. So now I'm on staff. And (laughs) he he and Howard Gordon take me to lunch in the Fox Comics.